Welcome back to another episode of the Better You Podcast. I am your host, Casey Maine, and I just want to thank you so much for listening. This week is an interesting topic, could be a touchy subject for some people. We are talking about drinking. And if you have been following me, or if you read my book, or if you've been listening to the show for a while, then you know that I tend to have, uh, let's see, I'd call it maybe a little bit of a love-hate relationship with alcohol. I have certainly done my fair share of drinking in my time. And then over the past couple years, have really kind of started to question my relationship with alcohol and almost like reset it at times. I, I quit drinking for about nine months a couple years ago. And then I quit drinking again about a month ago. Although I will say the other weekend I went to a wedding and fell off the wagon big time and paid for it big time the next day. So it's one of those things that I kind of go back and forth on. And it's a, it's a subject I do really enjoy discussing, but I find a lot of times people don't really want to talk about their own drinking habits, which is why I'm, I'm very impressed by our, our guest today because she's really, she's pretty young. She's 27. So she is in what a lot of people would consider like kind of still the throes of your party days. Yet she's really taken a step back and, and is looking at, at her own drinking patterns and decided to quit drinking and but then also try and open up a little bit more of that conversation and create a a community that is a little bit more supportive of people who maybe want to step away from drinking or step back from drinking whether it be for a short period of time or or a long period of time or or whatever it may be so so if you've ever questioned kind of your own relationship with alcohol, then I'm sure you will really in, enjoy the honesty in this conversation. If you haven't and that topic kind of triggers you, then this might be a little bit of an uncomfortable episode uh, for you. But, you know, one of my my promises of this podcast is to not shy away from the uncomfortable topic. So this is probably the first of many that we will get into. So in this episode, I am talking to the woman behind the Instagram handle at a sober friend, and her name is Stefania Lewicki. Stefania struggled with confidence and self-love for as long as she can remember until she found a friend in alcohol. And like many of us, drinking made her a more outgoing or and more social version of herself. And it essentially made her the popular girl that she always wanted to be. But it also brought a lot of drama into her life, fighting, cheating, losing friends. And so she decided to quit drinking. She's only about seven months in, but she has started this community on Instagram that is dedicated to helping those struggling with their relationship with alcohol or how drinking is affecting their other relationships with themselves or with their friends. And I love this conversation because she is so incredibly honest about her feelings and her experiences with drinking, which as I said, is a topic that is often avoided. So we talk a lot about the reasons that we drink, how we feel after drinking, like increased anxiety and depression, and how difficult it can be to be sober in our very drinking-centric culture. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please, as always, listen all the way to the end where I'll share my favorite takeaways and we will have a book recommendation from a listener. Okay. Well, so what I like to do is just kind of have you start with telling everybody a little bit about, um, who you are, what you do and kind of what your life looks like. Okay. Um, well, um, I live in Lincoln, Nebraska and right now currently I'm working at a drug and alcohol treatment center in our town. It's called the bridge and I'm a recovery advocate there. So 
I do a lot of like the admissions for um, clients coming into like medical withdrawal or people who are like, being checked into the detox program from um, being like arrested for being drunk out in public. And then we also have a treatment center on the third floor um, where we treat males for drug and alcohol substance use um, issues. So I've been there since about December and I absolutely love it. I love working with all the guys there and it's just, it's been a really rewarding, rewarding job. Before that I was, so I, I went to college at the university of Nebraska and I majored in English cause I thought my dream was going to be to like travel the world and teach English in every single country and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that did not, my life did not go that way. <laughs> um, so last year I tried like a year of like writing jobs. I was a copywriter at, um, this small advertising agency here in Lincoln. And then before that I was a journalist for a small newspaper and I just, I realized that I just, I hated it. Not, I, I don't hate writing, but I hate being told what to write about. And yes. it just felt really restrictive. And it was just not, I was just not enjoying it at all. So I was just like, I need to get into a field that I'm passionate about, which has been like addiction and mental health. And so I just kind of, that job kind of at the treatment center just fell on my lap a little bit. I had a friend that worked there and she told me to apply. So, and yeah, I've just, I've loved it ever since. And it's just kind of like growing my passion and speaking out about addiction and mental health. Definitely. So like, what is like an average day for you? Like what exactly do you do there? So average day is kind of hard to explain because it's very, very different every day. We have three different units. We have the treatment center, we have the medical detox or medical withdrawal center. And then we have the detox, which is basically called like our drunk tank. It's like, if you're just drunk out in the bar and you're causing problems, the cops will pick you up and bring you here. Um, so let's say like if I'm working in the medical withdrawal unit, there's people that come in voluntarily and willingly, and they're either under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And, um, they need like a safe place to go through their withdrawal. Because if you're in that stage where it's, you've been drinking a lot for a certain amount of months or whatever, the detox or the withdrawal can be actually very dangerous to come off of those drugs and the alcohol. So we have a nurse on staff that helps them with that, with medications, and we just keep an eye on them and observe them. And so basically what I do is I do the admissions and discharges with them. So I'm the, basically the first person that they see when they come into the medical withdrawal unit. And um, I just kind of explain the rules to them. I go through all the paperwork with them and just make sure that everything, we have everything that we need on our end for like insurance purposes and, and paperwork and whatnot. So yeah, that's a typical day in the medical withdrawal unit. The detox center, it's called civil protective custody. That's probably the most interesting because we have cops bringing in clients who are, I mean, they're coming in with BACs at like 0.4, like almost like death, but to them it's normal because they've been just, they've been drinking their entire lives. And so we have to pretty much like lock them into a secure and locked room. Um, that can just, that can get really, really hectic or there can be days where there's no, no admissions whatsoever. So it's just very different day to day. Wow. And so I imagine doing the admissions and the discharges of the medical unit, like the admissions, when they're being admitted, they're intoxicated at that moment, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So you see them come in all kind of messed up and then mm -hmm. they're, they're clean and have detoxed when they discharge. So I imagine that that can be a pretty um, significant change and maybe lends itself to like, some, some interesting conversations. Oh yeah. It's, it's insane. We actually, um, we just had a guy, uh, discharged from our treatment program. And I was the very first person that he saw like two months ago when he checked into the medical detox. 
and he was under the influence of meth and he was just, I mean, out of his mind, like paranoid. And I spoke to him probably like an hour to just try to calm him down a little bit. And then the per like he left yesterday and I, I gave him a big hug because he was one of my favorite guys. And um, the difference that these people are like when they're underneath under the influence of like meth or drugs, it's just insane. The different kind of person that they are after two months of being clean. And so it was really cool to see him from the very, very beginning all the way to the end. And I'm just really, really rooting for him. I just it always makes me so worried when they do graduate from the treatment program, because I mean, the relapse rate is just, it's so high. It's, it's very discouraging at times, but so that's just something very, very difficult to kind of see and deal with. Yeah. I was just thinking that, that then I'm sure you have some repeat visitors. So oh, you're yeah, all excited all when they leave and then like they yep. show back up and that's got to be kind of a tough, tough thing to, to deal with. Yeah. Very tough. We, I mean, it's been a handful of times now where we like discharge somebody from treatment and then that very same day, they get checked into the civil protective custody program because the cops found them just drunk or high, just out in public. And so that's just extremely disheartening to see. And it's, yeah, it's very emotionally draining, but there's definitely rewards and, and whatnot working in this kind of field. But yeah, it's hard sometimes. <laughs> and I, I imagine part of the rewarding component and the fact that you're very passionate about this, I'm going to assume um, ties back to your own story. And that assumption is based on, um, what I know so far of, of your writing and, and just your life and the fact that your Instagram handle is a sober friend. So Correct. let's go ahead and, and dive into your story. Um, okay. and we can just start with, I don't know, I guess some people call it rock bottom or just kind of the, the point in time of your life where you're like kind of the furthest away from who you truly are and like, what did that look like for you? And then we'll just go from there. Okay, perfect. So when I quit drinking, so I quit drinking on February 2nd of this year, about seven months ago. And the night before that was my birthday. And I only had like three drinks that night. And it was definitely not my rock bottom. Like I, I have hit so many rock bottoms in my life. And those were never the ones that made me quit drinking. So it was just, I think it was just like an accumulation I have so many rock bottoms and so many insane things that happened while I was drinking. And then I don't know what it was about that one day on February 2nd, but I woke up and I was like, I am absolutely done. Like, I cannot do this anymore. Um, so in terms of when I felt the most disconnected from myself, I would say like looking back and knowing who I am now, it would probably be in like the year 2017. I, uh, I had lost so many friends, uh, for various different reasons. And I was just, I felt so alone and I just, it was just an extremely hard time. That's when I started like really, really drinking alone and using like the alcohol to cope with my loneliness and anxiety and depression. So at the time I really didn't think that I was disconnected from myself. I, I honestly thought that I was just like dealing with it in like an okay way. That's crazy mm -hmm. how like the alcohol can make you think that you're just like, Oh, everything's fine. Like this is just what people do when they're sad and depressed. But looking back from like clear, clear mind and clear eyes. I just, I was so disconnected from who I was. And it's just like looking at old pictures. I can't even believe that that's who I was a couple years ago. And, and yeah, it's just, it's crazy to see like what alcohol did to me. All right. So let's back up and kind of look at your, the progression, I guess, of your relationship with alcohol, as well as like anxiety and depression. Like, did you always struggle with that? And like, did you grow up in an environment where drinking was very prevalent and normal? Or did you turn to it as 
um, kind of a source of, of comfort because you were feeling anxious and, and depressed? Like what did, like kind of what is your backstory with all of that? So, um, I was painfully shy in high school. Like I, if somebody looked at me wrong or if somebody said something wrong to me, my face would turn absolutely tomato red, like stuff that you see in like cartoons. It's just, it was insane. And so then I, I started dating this guy surprisingly, like at, at the very end of my senior year, I call him Brian in my blog. So I don't want to use his real name, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, so I started dating him and I, I don't know, like he, he was like the badass guy that I always like kind of like wanted to be with. He like smoked cigarettes, he drank alcohol and he pretty much just like introduced me into to drinking and almost immediately. And I it's probably just like immediately when I started drinking, I absolutely fell in love with it because it turned me not shy. And wow. I just, from the get go, I was just like, Oh my God, this is like my ticket. Like this is, this is how I can finally be like the outgoing bubbly, super like talkative girl that I've always wanted to be. And cause I mean, that's who I was always so insanely jealous of in high school. I was just, I always wanted to be popular and have a huge group of friends. And I never had that. Um, and I was just always so jealous of the super talkative outgoing girls. And so when I saw that alcohol did that for me, I just instantly fell in love. Were you a happy drunk or would that bring out sometimes, um, like the insecurities and, um, like anger or sadness? Oh, all, I mean, I would say probably 95% of the time it brought out like this angry, the, the anger, the sadness, the the deep, deep hurt that I have felt my whole life from like rejection and, and like hating myself, like something that I've dealt with my whole life is like self-hatred. It was just extremely prevalent in elementary school through high school and through college as well. So I just, I, yeah, I mean, I caused a lot of, I wreaked a lot of havoc when I was drinking because I would just start breaking out in tears and just caught like, I would get violent sometimes. Like I've been in a physical fight with like one of my best friends from back then like it was just, it got really, really bad. Cause like my demons just like rose out when I started drinking. It was insane. So, so like, where do you, like, where do you think those demons came from? Because like, I, I know personally, like I've struggled with self love and, and I can relate to what you're saying. Cause I, when I started drinking in high school, it, I, I felt a little bit of the same thing. Like, Oh, I all of a sudden feel more comfortable in my own skin and have right. this ability to be more outgoing. And I've since realized, okay, if that's who I actually am, like, I've got to find a way to get to that as a sober person, not just right. drinking. So that's kind of been my quest, but I don't know that I've ever felt like self hatred, as you say. So like, why, why do you think, like, where did that come from? I really don't know. It's like, it's something that I'm actually working on, like in therapy, because I just, I never realized how much I hated myself until I like stopped drinking. Like I'm looking back at it with all like a clear mind and like I have legitimately hated myself since elementary school and I don't really exactly know why. I'm not sure if something huge happened and I'm just, it's like a repressed memory or something, but I just, and I read about this a little bit in my blog too. I, I do remember one little tiny thing happening in elementary school. Um, and ever since then I was just so self-aware of myself and I was just so like critical of myself and it was I was, I think it was probably in like third or fourth grade. And my best friend at the time, um, I was talking to her around like our group of friends and she had told me that my breath smelled <laughs> and like, I just like, I'm 27 now. And I remember that feeling in my stomach, like as a fourth grader, my stomach just like dropped and I was just 
just embarrassment. And I think, I don't know, like how something so small like that could strike me like in the heart like that. But whenever I think about like when people ask me these questions, like when did you start hating yourself? I just always think back to that because I don't remember anything, any feelings like this before that. And then after that is when I just got, I don't know, just like so critical of myself and just like self-obsessed about like what I was looking like or what I was saying to people and, and whatnot. So that makes sense though, because, um, and I've, I've never been in therapy and I joke that I, I probably should have been for years now. <laughs> um, and probably should currently be. Um, but I know that, you know, there's a lot of talk of your, your childhood traumas. And we tend to, when we hear the word trauma, we think something, you know, like really bad, like some kind of like abuse or neglect exactly. or you know, something major. But in reality, a lot of people's traumas that then set that then set them up for their, you know, insecurities or their issues with themselves are something seemingly benign like yeah. that. And, you know, a, a, an example I give a lot of times is like, or if you're giving a book report and like people laugh at you and then all of a sudden you're like super insecure because yep. it's not so much that it matters like what happened. It matters like how you viewed that from your like, you know, seven year old perspective. So mm -hmm. I, my unprofessional opinion is I think that that makes total sense that something as simple as that comment from your best friend who, you know, you obviously care about what she thinks that's your best friend. Right. And then that can kind of just snowball into this huge, like, issue that you now deal with to this day. Exactly. Yeah, I just, I always tell people that, like, trauma and pain, it's all relative. Like, it's all, it's so different for everybody. And I just, it's been kind of frustrating to me because I, I used to think, like, you need to just, like, shut the hell up about your problems. Like, there, people are, like, dying of world hunger out there. There's, cancer's just insane and, and all of this. So I just... I really kind of want to like help people see that, you know, you're what you're dealing with and your own trauma and your own pain that it matters. Like it's, you don't have to be like brutally murdered by somebody or have your whole family brutally murdered by some like ax killer to be going through pain. And so that's just something that I've also been trying to emphasize a little bit is just that your pain matters no matter how big or small and for people to just like start taking it seriously. Yes, I, I could not agree more. And I think that similarly, it's like when I was feeling really kind of off and not happy with my life, I, I tried to almost like talk myself out of it because I'm like, there's nothing wrong with my life. Like I've had a great life. But right. you make a really good point that pain is or just all your feelings are relative. And so it's like your perception is your reality. And so essentially, exactly. that's really all that matters to you and like the worst thing we can do is compare and then use that comparison as reasons to like, you know, invalidate our own feelings. Exactly. Cause then, and then people start to feel guilty about like not taking things or not being thankful for things in their life. And then it just kind of spirals. So, and I mean, that's not to say that we shouldn't put things in perspective because I think that's important as well, but there's, I don't know, that kind of like fine line where I just want people to stop trivializing their own issues because it's not the absolute worst thing that happened to them, you know? Yes, absolutely. So what, what is your, um, like, what's your family life? Like, did you, did you grow up with a like close and supportive family environment and do they drink? Like, what is all that intersection? Well, so my parents are from Poland. So I'm a first generation American and my, uh, my dad was a huge drinker up until we were, I think like, I don't know how old I was. I think I was very, very young, but, um, 
he actually had a very big scare with us. He was watching us one time when my mom was at work and um, he got just absolutely hammered at the bar with his friend. And then he came home to watch us while she went to work. And he remembers waking up in the hospital and had absolutely zero recollection of what happened to us. And he he told us that he made a like deal with the universe. And he said, I swear to God, if my kids are OK, I promise I will never have another sip of alcohol. And he has been actually sober since. So he's been sober for about 25 years now. So I never actually really saw his drinking because I was so young. Um, so I did grow up in a in a household where I didn't see drinking. Okay. So when you started to get into drinking, did your did your dad try and caution you against it? Um, I mean, not really. He he always was pretty open about how he like when he drank, he like binge drank, and it was a real problem. Um, but I think he was just kind of like letting me explore it the way that I like needed to. I mean, he he wasn't ever just like, no, you can't drink. You there's it's just awful. You need to just not get into that kind of life. Um, but he was always just kind of like little, like subtle reminders, like, you know, just be smart, take it easy and and that kind of stuff. But now, now we talk about it all the time and he's so thankful that I'm not drinking anymore because I've been so open about it. But so let's go back to that morning. You wake up after your birthday when you hadn't even really drank that much the night before, like what exactly was going through your mind and like, why, why was that the day you made the decision to quit drinking? I don't know. It's honestly like, it's kind of hard to say because I, I, I've thought back to that before because I have like, I have had the hangovers from absolute hell. And I cannot believe that like one of my hangovers when I was like in Marco Island last year, I don't know how that wasn't it for me. So like thinking back, I think it was just because I have felt that way so many times. Like I can't even count them on my hands and toes. Like I woke up so many times just feeling so sick from alcohol. And then I had the three drinks on my birthday and I woke up feeling hungover. Like it was getting to the point where like even just like a few drinks, I was starting to feel just so sick. And the whole time that we were at the bar for my birthday, I did not, I could not even enjoy my time with my friends or my family because I was obsessing about like how much I was drinking. Like I was scared to drink more because I didn't want to have a horrific hangover the next morning. And I was just like playing mental gymnastics, just like back and forth. Like, okay, if I have one more drink, it's okay if I have another one, cause I'm going to feel shitty anyway. And so it was just like, I was exhausted when I got back home and then I woke up that next morning and just something like clicked inside of me. And I think that's how it happens for a lot of people is that something just has to kind of click and then you're just, you're done. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> So then like, how did the people in your life react to that decision? I am so incredibly blessed with the most amazing friends right now. I, I honestly have just like one, well, I would say like two really good friends here in Lincoln. And then I have a lot of family. Like I have a sister, um, sister-in-laws, two of them, and well, soon to be sister-in-laws. Um, and everybody has just been extremely supportive. And I was always so worried that people were going to care um, and looking back now, I can't believe that I, I was so scared about like my family and friends caring because they have been with me through like the worst of it. So I think honestly, like <laughs> my sister tells me that she is so unbelievably happy that I don't drink anymore. Cause I caused so much drama with her, like, and so much drama, like when I was around her. And so I think it was like a breath of fresh air for her too, for me to just cut that shit out. <laughs> yeah. See, you're almost, I'm almost like a little bit jealous in a way because um the a couple years ago when I took a break from drinking it was really a shock to the people in my life because uh -huh. I never had like I was not I didn't create a lot of drama I wasn't a sad or angry like I was very happy drunk and so it wasn't 
it didn't make sense to other people. Whereas I Uh think if in your situation, like you, you know, you have those super dramatic nights, then people are almost like more willing to accept it because they like, they get it. But like, for me, it was a lot of that, not even so much the hangovers, but just kind of more the awareness of like what it was doing to me mentally, like of holding me back. And then now recently in like my current hiatus from alcohol, it's more an awareness of like how it makes me feel like I always have an element, even if I don't feel physically hungover, if I just have a couple drinks the next day, I feel like more sad. Yep, exactly. And that's another thing. Um, a lot of like, thankfully, like the friends that I have now, they are like the, my true friends. Like I've through this whole sobriety thing, I've been able to figure out like who my actual friends are. But if I were to stop drinking like three or four years ago, the friends I had then would have reacted the same way, even though they've seen me cause so much drama, like they would have just been like, what, like, how are you, like, how are you not going to drink anymore? And it would have just been just absolutely awful. So I'm just, I'm really glad that I lost those friends and that now I'm able to just like kind of be surrounded by people who completely support something like this. So, and yeah, when it comes to like, like how you feel mentally after drinking, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that like the, brain chemistry like how it changes when you drink like alcohol depletes your like the neurotransmitters in your brain serotonin and so like even if you're not feeling like oh my god i'm throwing up i have a huge headache like i'm just physically just so hungover like your brain you're more than likely going to feel a little bit lethargic the next morning even after just like a few drinks and and that's what was starting to happen to me too is just like even after a few drinks my friend calls them eraser days (laughs) because it's just like you might as well just erase the day because you, I was not doing anything. I was just sitting on the couch moping. I just was just so depressed. And yeah, when I woke up that morning on the second, I was just like, I, I cannot do this anymore. (laughs) I I applaud you for, for really just kind of coming to that realization, especially at your age. I feel like when I was your age, I was still kind of back and forth with how much of like a party girl I wanted to be. And it's only, now that I'm kind of reevaluating my relationship with alcohol and trying to like redefine it. So like kudos to you for, for figuring that out sooner than later. Um, I'm curious, like in terms of relationships. Um, so I know like, so you just, you're getting married. Um, so obviously you found, um, a, a great relationship, but prior to this relationship, like how did, your kind of your insecurities and your self-hatred or even your drinking habits, like how did that play out in, in like romantic relationships in your life? Oh man. So, um, I'm not sure which blog post you've read yet, but I have talked a little bit about like my ex-boyfriend, Brian, well, it's weird calling him Brian cause that's not his real name. But, um, so I just with drinking and that past relationship, I caused so many fights and so much just unnecessary drama between like his friends and his friends girlfriends and I I was insanely jealous of his ex-girlfriend so whenever I would drink I would just like go absolutely crazy talking about her like I punched him like there was one night that I was so so unbelievably out of my mind drunk and depressed that I actually like slit my wrists like I had he had like a box cutter in his basement I'll never forget like I, I like slipped my wrist and he walked in there and he just like stared at me like, what are you doing? And so he like helped like wrap them up and everything. And I was just, just outside of my mind. And so another thing that I also did a bunch when I was with him was I cheated on him. Like when I was drunk, which is just, I never thought that I would be that kind of a person. You know, I was just this super quiet, like 
good girl in high school and and whatnot and now all of a sudden I'm this like drunk cheater and I don't know why he stayed with me throughout all of that I cheated on him like I don't even know how many times and he probably doesn't even know about all the times because it was just it was very often and it turned me into an absolute monster when I was with this guy and I've had to work through a lot of guilt like now being like clear-minded for about seven months or whatnot like it just the guilt kind of just like pops back up even after like seven years you know yeah. So, all right. So two questions, like one, when, um, when you slit your wrist, like, was that an actual suicide attempt or do you think you were trying to get like attention from him? Like how serious were you about that action? Oh yeah. Like looking back, I think it was completely like an attention seeking thing. Like I, I would have done absolutely anything for his attention to just be on me. And like, I, it's crazy because I was so like, I cheated on him all these times, but I was so like unhealthily, like obsessed with him. I don't know what that was about. And that's probably another thing that I should like work through in therapy. But like, it was just, I needed his attention to be on me, always on me, nobody else, nothing else. And, um, and that was, we dated for probably two years and that was, there was never a good time in our relationship. It was two years of that. It was exhausting. And so to this day, I haven't really even I mean, I'm sure he knows that I like cheated on him, but I never even admitted it. I just like made up this whole lie saying that I wanted to be single. I just like, I knew that after like the sixth or seventh time of cheating on him or whatever, I knew that I needed to just like end it for his sake. And so I just like made up this whole like, oh, I need to just be single and find myself, blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of times those, those younger relationships can, can be so intense because I don't know if it's, we don't know how to handle our emotions or all of our issues, like it's the first relationship where all of our issues are being triggered and like coming out. So how you mentioned like having to process a lot of like guilt, like how, how have you gone about doing that? Well, um, I mean, definitely just like talking about it in therapy and just kind of trying to realize that like, I'm not that person anymore. And just also trying to not care so much about what he or like his family and friends think about me anymore. Like I'm 27 and we, end this when I was like 21 or something like that. So it's been like a long time. And so I've just had to kind of like, it's kind of just a process of becoming more confident in myself and who I am now. And then in turn, I think that helps me with my guilt, just like being confident and just being like, okay, I feel better about myself. I'm a better person now. And so there's no need to just like hang on to this guilt anymore. And also just like, I like, he's a, he's a very decent guy. I'm sure like if we talked, he'd be like, yeah, it's fine. Like I, <laughs> Like everything's cool. Like people are more understanding than you think. Yeah. Like ultimately I think it's not so much that you need his forgiveness. It's that like you need to forgive yourself. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Cause I think for so long I've been like, I mean throughout the last, so I've been with my fiance for like five years now, but in that like two years where I was single, I tried to reach out to Ryan or to Brian so many different times, like, and just like apologize for like everything I did. And he was just like, I mean, the couple of times he responds like, it's okay. Like it's, it's fine. So I just always thought that I needed his like forgiveness and him to just be like, yeah, you're totally cool. It's awesome. But I've just realized that like, I need to completely forgive myself. And that's really something hard to do, but it's just, that's the only way that you're going to start to feel better. And I don't really know exactly like how you begin to forgive yourself. It's just, you have to, it's just like a feeling, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I asked my therapist like for her to give me like a concrete, like, okay, how do I like step by step? How do I forgive myself? 
And she's just like, well, that's not really how it works. Like, it's just, you have to just like do these little things like here and there, just kind of improve your self-confidence. And it just is something that kind of builds, you know, it's not going to be just like a moment where you're like, okay, I forgive myself. It's just all a process. Yeah. And I think it's a, um, it's like a multi-level process too, because, yeah. and I, I know I struggled with a lot of guilt. Um, so my relationship history, I wasn't the cheat. I wasn't the cheater, but I was the one people were cheating with. So I was oh, like yeah. mm-hmm. the, the other woman and right. carried a lot of guilt with that for a long time. And, and even, and I was aware that I felt guilty, but I also like thought I, I deserved it. So it's like, I couldn't even start the process of forgiving myself because I, I had this mindset of like, I, like, I'm not worthy of being forgiven. So I think that ties back into, you know, like the lack of self-love or self-hatred. And so it's like, it's, it's even harder to move through that guilt. Like if you don't think you deserve it. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like impossible. So I I think like the first step would be to just like, start the journey of like self-love, because if you're not, if you don't love yourself and you can't give yourself a little bit of grace that you're never going to be able to forgive yourself. So instead of like figuring out like, how am I going to forgive myself? I think like the deep issue is just like you coming to terms with the fact that you are worthy of forgiveness. And that all comes back to like self-love and self-confidence and self-worth. So how do you think you're doing in terms of like moving from self-hatred to self-love? Like, where do you think you are in that process? I have like honestly never felt better in my life. And I like credit that to starting therapy last year and like quitting alcohol because I've like for, for so long, like in high school, I was painfully shy. I, I hated myself for being so shy. And then after high school, I was finally that like bubbly, like outgoing girl, but that was only because of the alcohol. So once I stopped drinking alcohol like this year, I was like, okay, who the hell am I? Like, am I a super painfully shy girl or am I like a social butterfly, but I just haven't been able to like get there yet. And so I think I've just like been figuring out like who I am without like being like a painfully shy teenage girl and like without having like alcohol just like swimming in my veins. So I think like, I don't know, I for like for the first time can confidently say that I love like who I am and I love my personality and I'm okay with not being like a super bubbly, like super talkative, like cheerleader girl, like what I always wanted to be like in high school. Um, and I'm also not as shy as I thought I was. Like I thought that I was going to be this painfully shy, just like I can't like talk to people or my face is going to turn red kind of person. Like I found that I'm like a happy medium kind of thing. And so it's just, I mean, I'm, everybody's a work in progress, especially when it comes with like self-love and whatnot, but I have never felt better about myself and I never thought I would get somewhere like this. That's awesome. And I, I love made a point about like figuring out who you are and then also like accepting that because I know I, I struggled with that a lot too. Like when I, a couple of years ago, when I, when I quit drinking and I didn't drink for like nine months and I just, I always felt like super uncomfortable in every social setting where Uh other people were drinking. And then it was just kind of this like, okay, well maybe I'm not, maybe naturally I'm just not as like fun as I was when I was drinking. And so then trying to like wrap my brain around that and like accepting that if that's the case. And I'm with you. I think I'm, naturally, like maybe not at quite as outgoing as I am when I'm intoxicated and not ever going to do some of the things I would do if I was drunk, but I'm right. not for 
quiet either. I think I I'm somewhere in the middle as well. And I mean, I'm still trying to, trying to figure that out. Yeah, exactly. And like, I don't know when it comes to like not drinking around people and not being comfortable. Like I, that's how I started out. I was so worried that I was um, like never going to be able to have fun or like be outgoing or like live any sort of like crazy adventurous life if I don't drink. But like what I want to say to people is that it honestly is something that takes practice. Like I, the first time I went out like and didn't drink and other people were drinking, like, of course it's going to feel uncomfortable and weird because it's not the norm. Like that's not what you're used to, but it's just like anything else in life. Like practice makes perfect and well, not perfect, but practice will get you better. And so like, I just like really encourage people to try like social gatherings and social events without drinking. And you don't have to say that, Oh, I'm never going to drink like at a wedding again. Like, but maybe for like one time, if alcohol is becoming an issue, just like ask yourself to just try one time without it. And just like, keep trying those one times, like go to uh, somebody's house or barbecue or whatever, and don't drink or just take these like little steps. And that's just something that has really helped me is just like, kind of not, not forcing myself, but really trying to make an, a conscious effort to get out there and be surrounded by people who are still drinking and just like see how it goes. And it always goes better than like you think it's going to. Yeah. See, I, I don't know what my first couple experiences, I mean, it took a long time for me to be comfortable with it. Right. I mean, even to the point of like, like physically, like standing there, not having a drink in your hand was really weird. And I felt like I completely stuck out. So right away I realized I'm like, okay, uh, so I went through like a major LaCroix phase. Cause I'm like, I need to have yes. something <laughs> in my hand because I feel like, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know what to do with my hands. Just like right. standing here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's the whole, like see, me too. Like I, I have to have a drink in my hand and that's, I mean, that's not even like, when it comes to, like social situations. I just, I all, I never know what to do with my hands, like in any, <laughs> any situation. So <laughs> I always do have like a drink in my hand and like my go-to, which has been so easy to order that I like seriously tell everybody is just like tonic and lime. And mm-hmm. it looks like you're drinking like a vodka and lime. And like, I know that we shouldn't like give a shit like what people think about us. But like, I mean, I'm still human. Like I still like don't want people to be like, Oh, why are you drinking like water out of huge glass? You know, like I sometimes just want to have a cute little glass with my tonic and lime and make it look like I'm drinking a vodka and lime. Like I'm not going to (laughs) lie. That's been super helpful. Yeah. I think that's part of the process as well. I mean, it's, you had years of drinking as, and so you're only seven months into not drinking. So to think that, you know, you're fully prepared for, or even have the energy for conversation after conversation about why you're not drinking. It's like, you've got to get fully comfortable with it yourself first, which is a whole process before, because it's, it's crazy. Like the things that people say or how people can not be on board with it, Uh which which really surprised me because I'm like, ultimately, like, we all agree alcohol is physically bad for us, right? So, like, I'm trying not to do it. So, like, why is that such a big deal? Exactly. Like, nobody questions you if you are, like, like going on, like, a seven-day no sugar thing or, like, if you don't eat gluten. Like, nobody questions that or anything. And so it's just – it's crazy how people are so just, like – some people can get actually pretty upset if you're not drinking and they just don't understand why and it's just – it's really crazy. This culture to me, it's my eyes are finally like opening up to it. And it's just, it's really, truly bizarre. Like I went to my bachelorette party, um, like two weeks ago or so, and I was completely sober during it. And there were a couple of drunk guys there that we like, we'd like, we're just joking with and talking with. And one guy like could not wrap it around his head that I was not drinking. Like he could, like he bugged me for about five minutes 
asking me like over and over, like why I'm not drinking. And so I was just like kind of messing with him because he was hammered. And so I was saying, at first I told him I was like a raging alcoholic and I was like in recovery. And then I told him I was pregnant. And then I told him that I was still drunk from the night before. And so I was just like, I was just like trying to have fun with it. Cause I was like, this guy's not going to leave me alone. And so, but I, and finally I just asked him, I was like, why do you care if I drink or not? And he, he was just like stumped. Like he did not know how to answer that. And then he left me alone <laughs> for the rest it of the is, night. But it, it's crazy. And I, my only guess is that it, people are take it personal for some reason that like you yep. not drinking is you also judging them for drinking, which 100%. I try and make very clear to everybody. Like I'm not, I'm not anti-drinking by any means. Like no, I, me there's no way I could take that stand, but I, I'm just trying to figure out what's best for me. Like you do you, but, but I think that people, that's that's the only thing that makes sense to me is that they're they take it as some kind of attack on them because they are yep. drinking exactly and like I completely understand that because I um when I was drinking like in my heavy heavy drinking like a few years ago I would get seriously upset if somebody wasn't drinking like if they were around me and they decided to like either switch to water or or if they like sat down at the bar or restaurant and they just like ordered a water or something I would get like seriously offended by that um, even to the point where like, so my brother has like a drinking problem. And so we were in Oklahoma for visiting my sister for Thanksgiving or whatever. And I was legitimately upset that we couldn't really drink around him. Um, even though like he had a drinking problem, like he like had been to treatment and everything. And, and it's just like, looking back, I can't believe that I was somebody that was so upset at other one, at other people drinking because of like my mindset now. But, and that like looking back, it's because I myself had an issue with alcohol. So I think when people do care so much, I think there's like a little bit of an issue there. Right. And I think that that issue doesn't necessarily mean that they have a problem, but they have a, they yeah, have, a weird, exactly. they have some kind of an attachment to it. Cause like for yep. me, I always attached drinking and fun. So yep, it's like, me too. if I wanted to have fun, that included drinking and like drinking made things more fun. It made me more fun. It made other people more fun. So it's like, I was always a little bit of a beer bully because I wanted everybody yeah, to have a good time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's been, it's, it's, and it's hard to like break those attachments, but it is super weird when you really think about it because, and I've noticed this, like, not only do we, as a society, like want to pressure each other that if like I'm having a drink, I want you to have a drink, but we also like have to be drinking the same thing. Like if I uh -huh. order a liquor drink and you order a beer, I'm like, why are, why are you just having beer? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you want them to be on the exact same level as you. And yeah, it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> it's, it's really odd when you really kind of step away from it and start to pay uh -huh. attention. To it. Like we don't do that with, like, if you and I met for coffee, I wouldn't like, pressure you to have a coffee if you just had a water and if you ordered a regular coffee and I had a latte I wouldn't want you to have a latte like it's just it's, a yeah like it's really strange it's very very strange yeah I don't know if that's just like how like the media because the media just glamorizes alcohol and uh, I don't know if it has something to do with that but it really is just bizarre <laughs> yeah I'm sure it's it's like multifaceted yeah. um, from you know programming from mainstream media and the glamorization yep. to the fact that it's an escape and a distraction from yeah, exactly. like we don't want to face. Right. All right. So seven or so months in, like how, how do you feel different? Like what have you noticed like physically, mentally, emotionally, like what are the changes you've noticed in yourself? Well, first of all, so, um, I've lost, so 
from, let's see, gosh, I don't even know when I started to gain the weight. It was probably in like 2015 or so. From 2015 to like 2018, I gained like 40 or 50 pounds. And that was from like beer because that was my drink was beer. I love beer for any occasion. And then what came with that was like my hangovers were so bad that I would eat fast food like a freaking crazy person. I was just inhaling it. And I was just, that was like my diet pretty much with beer and like McChickens from McDonald's. And so I, <laughs> McDonald's I, like, I gained, was my go-to also. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So cheap. And just the McDonald's or McChicken and McDouble were my things and they were just amazing. Um, so yeah, I just, I slowly like packed on like 50 pounds and I, I hated how I looked. Like it wasn't about me loving myself at any size or, or anything. Cause I, I love like body image empowerment and whatnot. But like, for me, the reason I gained all that weight was because of the self-destructive things I was doing. So in the last like year and a half or so, cause last year I didn't drink like a whole lot, but like I, when I did, it was like those crazy binges, but starting like last year, I started to slowly like lose the weight. Um, and now I'm like down, I'll say like 45 pounds from like my highest weight. So it's like the best I have ever felt physically. I started doing orange theory a couple months ago. Cause like one of the friends that I met from my sober Instagram, she like suggested that I try it out and I absolutely fell in love with it. So I'm like more physically active than I ever have been. And like, there is no way I would do be able to like finish any of these like orange theory workouts if I was like hungover or even if I had like a few drinks the night before, like I would just not be mentally prepared to even, even like step into the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to like mental health, like I cannot explain like how much better I feel. I like just like taking away the alcohol. I I don't have panic attacks anymore. I, my depression has slowly just gotten better, like through like multiple things like therapy and just working out more and whatnot. So, um, and then also I do take Lexapro for anxiety, um, because like after like the first couple months of sobriety, like my anxiety was really, really good and like everything was just kind of under control. But then like after that kind of pink cloud phase, that super like euphoric excitement of sobriety kind of kicked in, I realized that my anxiety was still just kind of like lingering there, but it wasn't like a, like the hangover anxiety. It was just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do take medication for that as well. And if I was still drinking, like during like taking medication, I don't think that that would work at all because it just has like a counter effect and whatnot. So like mentally, I've just been feeling so much better, just like clear in my mind. I'm not so scared all the time and just like riddled with just like crippling anxiety and whatnot. So it's just, I have never felt better in my life. That's awesome. And and I, a couple of years ago when I took my break, I felt the same way. I've never really dealt a lot with anxiety, but I just, I felt mentally clearer and sharper, yes. just kind of this brain fog was lifted. And that's, yeah, exactly. That's another thing. It's like, once you know what it feels like to not have that, then when you experience it again, it's super frustrating, which is why I think I wanted to take another break. Cause it's like, okay, now, whenever I feel that brain fog, I'm like, ah, like, I don't, I don't want to feel this way. Exactly. And like, yeah, you make a good point. Like ever, like when you experience what it's like without alcohol, and then you do like have like a little bit of a hangover or that, that brain fog, I, I swear it like it's worse. Like, or it did for me at least, like, cause I was just more aware and like in tune with my body. Yeah. I think it's that awareness. So yeah. do you, um, like through therapy or just, I imagine you learn a lot about this from, you know, from your work. Like our anxiety and going from a drinking life to a sober life, are they linked? Like, is that a common, like, do you experience, do people experience anxiety because of making a change? Like, I guess, what is the relationship between anxiety and alcohol? 
Well, I mean, it's it's different for so many people. I've had people message me on like my sober Instagram and and say that ang- their anxiety has gotten way worse, like when they stopped drinking. And then some people say that it's just completely alleviated it, and then everything in between. So I think it's just like a person to person kind of thing. But like on a on a chemical level, it's like I've talked about before, like alcohol depletes our serotonin in our brain, and serotonin is like the anxiety and depression molecule. Like that's what you need. Um, that that's what needs to be like leveled out in order for you to have like normal levels of anxiety and not feeling like down with depression and whatnot. So, so I don't know. I, I've experienced anxiety like my whole, my whole entire life, but I never really noticed it until it like manifested itself in like panic attacks in college. And so I actually, I used alcohol to help my anxiety, um, probably around like the age of like 22, 23 is when I really first started having like severe anxiety and at the time I had no idea about like the rebound effect of alcohol when it comes to anxiety. Like I had no idea that when you're hungover or when you're, the alcohol is leaving your system, I did not know that that was going to make anxiety and depression worse. So I kind of went through like three years of just like this, Oh, feel anxious, have like a lot of drinks, a lot of alcohol. It'll cure your anxiety. And I would wake up and like feel a million times worse, but I didn't know why. And like, I finally like through like reading and, and just kind of like educating myself a little bit about it. Like alcohol just is just absolute torture for your mental health, especially in terms of like anxiety and depression. Yeah. And I think that, that re I didn't even know it had a name like that rebound effect like that. Yeah. That is such a real thing. And I remember years ago, um, when I first kind of became aware of it, cause I think when I was younger, either I didn't experience it or I just drank through it or I wasn't aware of it. I don't right. know, but my friends and I then got to a point where we would joke about it, like post drinking depression, but I never really stopped and thought like, huh, like, why is this happening? And like, <laughs> is this okay? Right. Yeah. I never, never thought about it. I was never aware of it. And then just like, I would say in the last like couple years or so, just like educating myself, like I said, just, it really has such an effect on your brain on a chemical level. And it's just, yeah, I used to just like drink through it or like in my college years, I was drunk all the time. Like, and so I never even had even time or like space in my brain to be like, why am I feeling this way? Like, I just didn't care. I just like kept drinking. So if there was somebody who was maybe starting to question their relationship with alcohol, maybe they're, you know, ready to take a break from it, or maybe they're not, but they're just kind of starting to reevaluate it. Like what advice would you give them? Um, to kind of start to start to educate themselves or start to like figure out what is maybe best for them. So I do have a lot of people message me and ask me this. And my biggest thing is last year in 2018, I did a a sober spring. So I did 90 days, three months without alcohol. Um, And that was like inspired by Catherine Gray. She's the author of the unexpected joy of being sober, like one of the best books. I absolutely love it. Um, And so I was inspired to just like try three months without alcohol and just like see like how everything would go with that. And I did drink after the 90 days or whatever, but it was a different kind of drinking. It was the drinking that was, I was so much more aware of like my anxiety or what was happening when I was drinking. So it was like the catalyst where I am now. Like it's the thing that kind of like shot me forward in this whole like questioning alcohol thing that I'm doing right now. So my biggest advice is like start try to like challenge yourself to like a 90 day no alcohol challenge. And like I feel like those are so prevalent nowadays that if you're if you're like going to go out or like talk to friends and they, they hear you're doing like a 90 day challenge like with alcohol, I think the majority of people are going to be like, "Oh, okay. That's that's cool. That's fine." And another thing that I think is helpful with like a 90 day challenge is that it doesn't it's not like a forever time stamp. 
Because I think that is what scares people and terrifies them. I know it terrified me, like, thinking about a life without alcohol. So I would just, like, say just, like, give it 90 days and just, like, see the benefits. Yeah, I think that having an an end point definitely with anything, like with trying anything, because, you know, you can kind of tell yourself, okay, I can do anything for 90 days. Like I've got this. And I think you're right that, you know, to kind of alleviate some of that social awkwardness of conversations that saying you're doing that as a challenge is much more accepted these days. Cause you got the whole, like whole 30 and people yep, have been exactly. doing dry January and kind of taking a month off and that's become commonplace. So, but I don't know that a month really gives you kind of that experience of how different you can feel mentally and physically of a month of being sober versus 90 days. Exactly. Cause I did do a, a 30 day challenge like four or five years ago. Um, I've like done so many of these challenges cause I <laughs> never knew I had an issue, but, um, I did like a 30 day, no alcohol thing four years ago or so. And I, it really is not long enough to like reap the benefits. I don't think, cause it takes like, they say it takes like 21 days to form a habit. So like then a week later, then you're just like done with it. And it's just, I don't know. It's just 90 days, I think is like the perfect time. And I'm so glad I found that sober spring thing that, uh, Catherine Gay, like gray posted about on her Instagram. Cause I was really able to see some benefits during those 90 days that you just cannot see in the short time of 30 days. How did you like, why did you decide to do that? Like at that point in time, like what was kind of going through your mind or, or were you noticing things about yourself that you're like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to try this 90 days of sobriety. Yeah. So I, um, I was really, my anxiety was just horrific with my hangovers during that time. And so like at the beginning of the year, I, uh, I started out with, I was like at January 1st, I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink until my birthday. And so my birthday was February 1st. And so I was like, okay, 30 days, two weeks into that, my friend like convinced me to go out drinking with her. And so I went out and drank with her. Um, and I was like, oh, it's fine. Like I tried to convince myself that I was okay with being hungover. Like I tried to be like, oh, it's not that bad and just downplay it. Um, so the, the middle of January, I was like, Oh my God, I need to just not do this anymore. And that thought only lasted for like a few days. And then I had one of the worst hangovers of my life around February. It was like the week of my birthday. Um, I drank for like four or five days straight because I was like, Oh, it's my birthday week and blah, blah, blah. Like I thought it was just hilarious that I was drinking every single day. And then I went to Manhattan, Kansas to visit my sister and my fiance went with me and my sister's husband was there and we went out and drank all day on my birthday. And, um, I obviously caused like a lot of drama with my fiance that evening. I smoked probably like 20 cigarettes that night and I woke up feeling like I was hit by like a million trucks and I was just like on the verge of a panic attack all day. And I was just so disgusted with myself and how I felt. And so I did, I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink for 90 days. So I started this whole, I'm going to drink or I'm not going to do any sort of alcohol or anything for 90 days. Then I broke that two weeks later because I was hosting a baby shower for my sister and we had like mimosas there and everything. And I just decided to have like a couple of mimosas and I had some wine that night. And then I woke up, um, from that and I felt just completely hungover. And that happened like a few more times. And then finally it was like March 2nd. I was like, I need to take a break. Like Mm -hmm. I cannot do this. I can't keep doing this, but I also don't want to say forever. So that was my like, like middle ground. It was like 90 days, just see if you can do it. And I was able to do it. And that was really what kind of started me on this whole like awareness of my drinking. 
how has it changed your relationship? Because you were with him when you were drinking and like now you're sober. So like, what has that impact been? Oh man, it has been, it has helped so much in our relationship. I like, like you said, like we were both drinking like crazy when we first met. Oh, like I was just drunk all the time and I caused so much drama with him at the beginning and so much drama, like throughout our relationship, like when I lost all of my friends and when I was just drinking by myself all the time, just he's been through all of it. He is a complete saint of a guy. I don't know how he exists. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's just, he constantly tells me that he can't believe like how much I've changed and how like stronger our relationship is now because I'm not like causing these insane fights with him and I'm not like insanely irrational about everything and, and whatnot. So it has just completely changed our relationship for the better, which I know is kind of like, some people do struggle because if one person gets sober in a relationship, that sometimes just like throws a wrench in things. Like it just completely changes the dynamic of a relationship. So it could really go either way. Like it could completely ruin the relationship or it can just make it a lot better. Right. Cause like, all right. So is, does he still drink? I mean, obviously yeah. less, but does he still occasionally drink? Yep. He still occasionally drinks very, very occasionally though. Yeah. See, it's like, I, I think that's your partner has to be supportive because you're right. Like all of a sudden, how you spend your time together can completely change. Like if they're not okay being like the only ones drinking, if you're like, okay, well let's go to this bar and have a couple drinks and listen to live music, which is like a very normal thing to do. They've right. got to be okay with the fact that they're having a drink and you're having water and you've got to be okay being in that environment. And so it's, you definitely that I can see how that could, that could really go either way. So that's, that's awesome that you guys, that it's brought you closer. Yeah, definitely. I would just like suggest anyone if like this is something that they're going through, like somebody's getting sober and somebody's not like communication is like the number one thing. Just like talk about it and just like try to like see things from each other's perspectives and and whatnot. And like, yeah, we we went to the Blink-182 concert a few days ago and he had a beer and I had like my uh, tonic in line or whatever. And like I was around like all these drunk people and it was just perfectly fine, you know, like just he just does not drink a lot at all. I mean, he used to, like, we used to just like go after it like crazy, but he's really kind of mellowed out too. And like, he's almost 30. So he's just like, he's sick of that kind of lifestyle as well. So, so yeah. Yeah. That, that comes with, as you get into your thirties and it only gets worse too. Like soon yeah. you guys find yourself, like we go to bed at like nine. Me like, too. <laughs> it starts to be like, you you look forward to a weekend of like nothing instead of a yes, raging. Exactly. <laughs> It feels so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. I really, I, I applaud you. Um, cause I know it is not an easy thing and I just, yeah. I, I'm so grateful for your honesty and willingness to talk about it. Cause it's also something that a lot of people just do not feel comfortable talking about, like myself included for a long time. So I think the, the fact that you have your, your Instagram and you have your blog and you're just being really open and honest about it, like that's, that's amazing. So thank you thank so much. You. Thanks so much for saying that. So tell everyone like where they can find you and follow you and all the things. So my Instagram name is at a sober friend. Um, and then I have my blog, which is a sober friend dot blog. And so the blog is a little bit, I have to actually go in there and edit a little bit. Cause I'm writing it kind of as a book, like as I go on, I think just for like my own, like I'm trying to just like organize everything in my thoughts. So I'm, I'm labeling things like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, just so if you want to stick with like my whole life story, just go to those 
blog post and just kind of like read that in order. And I'm also going to be throwing in just like random like blog posts. Like I'm going to be posting one soon about my sober bachelorette party. Um, and that won't be in line with like the order of the other ones, like the chapter ones for the book. So that's mm-hmm. just, yeah, I just want to kind of explain that a little bit. And I need to explain that on my Instagram as well. And then you have a podcast also. Yeah, I actually started one a few weeks ago. I only have like two, um, two episodes on there, but yeah, it's also on my link in my profile on Instagram. But yeah, that one is called virtual coffee with a sober friend. And yeah, that's actually been super fun to, (laughs) to get going. I just like rant and ramble on my first two episodes, but, but I listened to one and I, I was like, you just, you could tell like you have a great voice and like great personality and you're just being super real. So it's very much like, Oh, thank you. I don't know. Yeah. I like re-listened to it. I was like, Oh my God. Like I didn't know I was like cussing like a sailor and just like <laughs> sound like angry. <laughs> That's oh, awesome. but, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> thank you again so much to Stefania for her honesty and her willingness to share her insight on this somewhat touchy topic. My favorite takeaways from the conversation are how trauma and pain is all relative. And as Stefania points out, we need to stop trivializing our feelings because we think things could be worse and comparing how we feel or our situation to what we consider to be worse situations and therefore acting like our feelings don't matter. Like our pain is real and it deserves to be addressed. How forgiveness both towards others and ourselves is a process and When it comes to forgiving ourselves, a very important first step is self-love and realizing that we are worthy of forgiveness. How oftentimes we drink to overcome anxiety or feelings of depression without realizing the rebound effect that whatever we're trying to drown is just going to come back with a vengeance as alcohol leaves our system. And I think that's a really, really important point and, and something that is usually behind my hiatuses, I guess, from alcohol is really trying to stay aware of like, what is my why? Like, what is my reason for drinking? And and if it is from some kind of a headspace of trying to, trying to avoid some kind of uncomfortable feeling like anxiety or depression or stress or fear, like ultimately it's not going to help. Like it's going to temporarily help, but then things are just going to be like worse on the back end how being sober can be very uncomfortable at first. So if this is something you're thinking about trying, even just for a short period of time, give yourself grace, but also recognize that it's a process and it takes practice. So don't expect it to be easy at first. And if you do want to experiment with sobriety and you're in a relationship to remember that communication is key. So it is important that your partner fully understands your perspective and kind of your why behind this and how important it is to you, but also that you don't discount the inherent changes it will bring to to their life and your relationships. So to just make sure that you communicate and talk about all of that. So that is it for this week. Uh, After this, we will hear a recommendation from a listener. And I want to ask you to please remember that if you have a recommendation for a book or a podcast or an app or an article or whatever, anything that has helped you 
better understand yourself or better understand life, then please just record a short voice memo and send it to me at thebetteryoupodcast at gmail.com. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at thebetteryoupodcast. If you haven't already, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And I would so appreciate it if you can go ahead and give me a rating and a review. Those help a lot with the discoverability of the podcast as I am trying to grow it. And just thank you again for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Hi, Casey. It's Taylor, and I just wanted to share my faves with you. Right now, I am listening to Joe Dispenza a lot because I am really like geeking out over the science of our brains. <laughs> and also Mel Robbins. She kind of kicked my ass back into shape, and she has a 30-day mindset reset. And I did... Um, the 30 day reset, it only took me about 15 days, but it totally rocked my world and I recommend it to everyone. Thanks.